Good morning. My name's Rick, in case I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I'm one of the elders here at Axiom, and I have the, the honor and the privilege of sharing God's Word today. You know, we've, we started a new series on Easter, celebrating the, the resurrection, and so many times in our current day world, we do Easter, we focus on the resurrection, and then we're off and running to other things. And I think we do a disservice to ourselves, and I love the fact that we're doing a, a series on the resurrection because that's really what the early church was laser-focused on, was the resurrection. You know, if we look back at those incredible moments in history and, and we see how things progressed after the resurrection, it's important for us to understand what happened and how significant what occurred after the resurrection is for us today. There's some very important things that happened after the resurrection. I want to start this morning, if, if you weren't here last week, our pastor Gavin uh, spoke on really one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it's on the two men after the resurrection who were walking along the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears with them, and they don't recognize him, and they're walking along, and they're just, they're just doing a download. They're, they're venting to Jesus. Uh, they're upset, they're down, they're depressed, they're distracted. All they can think about is Jesus died, and it messed up everything they thought that was going to happen. They were upset about it. And it's, it's, it's interesting, and the one phrase I want to take from that and then run from there out of Luke 24, 21, this was the heartbeat of what they were really venting to Jesus about. We had hoped he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. Do you feel the disappointment in that? They were distracted with it. And the resurrection, of all things, the resurrection had just happened. Of all things in, in the history of the world, the resurrection had just happened. And Jesus is walking with them. And they were focused on Jesus. Somehow they thought the last shoe that was going to drop, or part of the plan was that Jesus was somehow going to move the Romans out and restore Israel in an earthly kingdom. Now, we'll start there and we fast forward to Acts chapter 1. This is his disciples as Jesus is standing there. In fact, in this portion of Scripture, right after what we're going to read, Jesus ascends to heaven right in front of them. So it's that moment as they're standing there. And <clears throat> they're still focused on this, even his disciples. Verse 3 says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to hold off till I get to verse 6 here. It's just, I mean, he just made an announcement that is going to change everything about the church and the way forward through the Holy Spirit. He just, he just announced it. And I don't know if you've ever walked up to someone and told them something that was really gonna, great that was going to happen in a few days and they just ask you, where's my McDonald's French fry? Or, you know, ask you some question and, are you listening to me? <laughs> And if you look at verse 6, he just announced, I'm, in just in a few days, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And here's what they said. 
So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still stuck on this. Of all the questions they could have asked, they were so focused on Israel being restored in an earthly kingdom. But we just read in verse 3 there that Jesus has been with them walking around for 40 days telling them about the kingdom of God. They were focused on an earthly kingdom of Israel. Now I want to pause for just a minute. We've got 2,000 years of hindsight. We've got 2,000 years of studying the scriptures and we all know the story and we, we know how it all turns out. And so I don't want to beat up on the disciples too much here. Um, but I can get overwhelmed. It's actually quite humorous, humorous to me and it gives me hope for myself as I watch the disciples as I see them with interacting with Jesus all through the scriptures. But I get a little overwhelmed at how Jesus' followers seemed clueless of the incredible moment that they were in. He's getting ready to ascend right in front of them into heaven. If you read on in, the, in, the, in those verses, they were standing face to face with the resurrected Jesus. But they were focused on other things. They were somewhere else. Just pause for a minute again. Let's get honest. Let me be honest. I find myself in that story. I find myself every day in that story. How I get so focused on the things that I think God should go fix or change in my world or the world somewhere. I get so fixated on that and focused on that. All the while, God's overdoing something incredible. I get distracted on that. I get distracted while he's doing incredible things in spite of all the things I think he should change in the world. What Jesus told them here in this scripture about the Father's promise to send the gift of the Holy Spirit, Spirit, it went right over their heads. And they were focused on the wrong thing. They thought the end goal was the establishment or reestablishment, redemption, whatever words you want to use, of the earthly kingdom of Israel. Can I just tell you that God is always up to something? God is always up to something. He's always, it's important for us to involve ourselves in what God is doing. What he is doing as our main focus and not get distracted with it. Because really, if you think about it, as there was a star in the sky and the three wise men came and found Jesus in a manger, the Romans were occupying the land and Israel wasn't restored. The whole time that Jesus walked the planet and he, he healed the sick, he delivered, he, he cast out demons, he fed the 5,000. I mean, you fill in the blanks. You've, you've read it. All the things that Jesus did all that time, the miracles and incredible teaching that was going on, the Romans were occupying the land. Israel wasn't restored. When Jesus went to the cross and they put him in the grave and the stone was rolled away, it's what we're celebrating. Incredible things. Rome was occupying the land. Israel wasn't restored. God was doing all these things despite and in spite of what the Romans were doing. Despite the fact that Israel was occupied and restored. And again, I ask myself this question. What am I so focused on today? Today? 
that is distracting and diverting me from what God is doing right now? What is it that I should be focused on that I'm not? I want you to keep that thought in mind because we're going to come back to it later. It's an incredible thought, though. But thank the Lord the disciples did hear Jesus. They did stay in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them in the second chapter of Acts. And from that moment on, there's not a peep, there's not a word about Israel being restored. All of a sudden, it's gone. They were now focused on the kingdom of God here on earth. Just as Jesus had taught them, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where they were focused. This is a pivotal moment as Jesus' disciples, now led by the Holy Spirit, were focused differently. The Holy Spirit was guiding them like Jesus had told them that he would. If, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see the church and how it began and, 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 and very important things began happening. Again, this is post-resurrection. And as the church grew and they were led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, they remained focused on God's kingdom and heaven and what they were doing to bring that here on earth. Not a nation's kingdom here on earth. They were laser focused. And what the Holy Spirit focused them on is as a church, is very important for us to see today. Jesus, as he mentioned there in the book of Acts, had mentioned a number of times to his disciples that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And in John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Again, if you go read the book of Acts and on into the New Testament, it, it's very clear that the Holy Spirit guided them and focused them very specifically so they weren't distracted and drifting around. The Holy Spirit focused them on the resurrection and the fact that Jesus is Lord. That was the message of the early church. In fact, right after the Holy Spirit comes and, and Peter is trying to answer everybody, the crowd that had gathered as what just happened here, he speaks, he starts quoting uh, Old Testament scripture, but really when he ends up with it all, he basically is preaching a message about the resurrection and that Jesus is Lord. That's the very first message and it just keeps going. In fact, in the early church, this is the very first creed or confession of faith that they had as, as the early church, that Jesus is Lord. And we see that come to life in the early church in the book of Acts. I would challenge you, and if this was class, this is your homework, but this is not class, so you can just blow me off here. But I would encourage you to go home and read the book of Acts. Because that's where the church was birthed. That's where you see what happened after the resurrection. And you see the focus on the resurrection and the fact that Jesus is Lord. And what's interesting is there's no end to the book of Acts. There's an end to every other book in the Bible. There's no end to the book of Acts. Because we're still living it out. We are. I want to look at this creed. Jesus is Lord. This first confession of faith of the early church that the Holy Spirit focused them on. 
You see it throughout the New Testament. And as Paul is writing his letter to the Christians in Rome, in chapter 10, he was in the process, and there's a lot of deep stuff that goes on in the book of Romans. In chapter 10, he's comparing the law of Moses to the righteousness that comes by faith. And in verse 8, he's referring to, when he asks this first question, but what does it say? He's referring to the righteousness that comes by faith. And I want you to just, just let these words sink in. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for, and he quotes the Old Testament scripture again, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved or rescued. This scripture makes it so clear. There's something that happens inside of us when the Holy Spirit actually knocks on our door, when he knocks on our heart's door and he reveals to us who Jesus is, that he's risen from the dead, and we take that step of faith to believe in our hearts and confess that Jesus is Lord we are saved. We think it's far away. So many times, whatever it is we're going through, we, we feel like we're at distance. It's not far away. It is right there. It's, it's as another way of saying this in our vernacular today, it's on the tip of our tongue. It's right there. It's something that God is doing in our hearts. He's working in us. And it's not just an outward profession of faith. It's not just something that we're reading and say, okay, if I read this, it's, it's all okay now. No, it comes from down inside. It's this inward, sincere attitude of the heart that we have. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, sometimes I don't like what comes out of my mouth, and so I have to go look in my heart. Anybody? Yeah. But the attitude of our heart makes Jesus Lord over everything in our lives, every situation in our life. In New Testament times, it was understood that if a person said that someone was their Lord, that they were saying that they had surrendered power and authority over to that person. That's what it meant then. And that's exactly what they meant when they confessed Jesus is Lord. It was complete surrender. In our day, you can walk out into the world and say Jesus is Lord, and I don't know, people go, yeah, this guy's blue too. It just, we understand here, but when you, in our world today, it's like, okay, Jesus is Lord. Yeah, I, it's, it gets sung about during Christmas and Easter and all the church services, okay. But then it was... It was a, a normal thing. It was a normal word that they used back then. This first creed of the church, Jesus is Lord, is so important for us to understand a bit and to embrace for us to put it in the proper place in our lives today. With the early church being led by the Holy Spirit, 
there was a common message that they spoke, whether it was person to person, or whether it was speaking to a crowd, whether it was in the letters that were written. It was written, and it's the focus of the church that Jesus is Lord. Even here in the scripture that we're looking at, Romans chapter 10, verse 12, I love the fact that it says, regardless whether it's to the Jew or the Gentile, he's throwing the net completely wide, that Jesus is Lord of all people and richly blesses all who call on him as Lord. Thank the Lord for that. Even if you dissect the Word of God and, and, and if you take the, the New Testament and you do a word study in the numbers, <clears throat> if you're a mathematician, maybe this will speak to you, the focus is still where the Holy Spirit placed it. Jesus is mentioned in the New Testament as Savior 16 times, and I thank the Lord. He is my Savior. But He is called Lord over 450 times in the New Testament. Have you ever repeated yourself to someone <laughs> because you wanted them to get it? I got it. <laughs> We're getting it. That's where the Holy Spirit had focused the church. He had risen from the dead and that he was Lord. And notice that it's, he doesn't say Jesus was Lord. He says he is Lord. Because it's not just about some historical fact. and sound, you, know, we, you know how we are about history. We kind of go, okay, I've studied it. I put it on my shelf and I kind of got it there and I understand it for what it is. He wasn't, was Lord. He is Lord. And they complete, the Holy Spirit was prompting them. They completely understood. He is Lord. He is Lord. He wasn't just Lord of the past. He is the Lord of our present today, and He is the Lord over the future. And we can rest in that. We can become excited about that, knowing that He's not just some historical figure. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, he gives us a glimpse, and I, I can't tell you how many scriptures I read this week um, about this subject. And let me just tell you, I didn't get to the end of them, and I read a lot <laughs> that support that Jesus is Lord. I think I read all 450 times that it mentions it. But the one that I picked out this morning to share is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Paul gives us a glimpse of why it is that the Holy Spirit was focusing them, that Jesus was Lord. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, just as you read the New Testament, just watch for it. It just comes out every, all over the place. But that's the glimpse that we have. He is this Lord. He is at the right hand of the Father. I, I can't tell you how many scriptures I read this week about how He is at the right hand of the Father. And He's there interceding for you and for me. He is our Lord. The word that is used here in the New Testament, the word Lord, to describe Jesus, it means power, dominion, authority, and the right to master. The word Lord in their day, in the New Testament times, was so reverenced that as the scribes would copy the scriptures, when they got to the word Lord, they would pick up a different pen to write it 
They were in such awe and reverence of his name because he is Lord. He is Lord. Such meaning and importance. But for the believers in the early church, confessing Jesus is Lord in their world, it didn't go over so well. <laughs> to the Jews, it was complete blasphemy because they were saying Jesus is God. That's why Paul, every time he went into town, he had ended up in jail or he'd get run out of town. They would hide him. And as he traveled, he caused a real problem as he would go into the synagogues and he would, he would connect the dots. He would connect the dots from the Old Testament scriptures and what it said about the Messiah and prove to them. And a lot of people would put their faith in Jesus and other folks would just dig their heels in and cause a riot. It was, it's just my humorous theological thinking that when Paul went into town, it always said he went to the synagogue first. I think he went to the jail first. <laughs> he wanted to see what the accommodations were going to be. And then he went to the synagogue. And maybe that's why when sometimes he went to jail, other times he got out of town because he, I don't know. Just erase that. <laughs> Just a little Rickology there. Got to have a sense of humor with it. But there were a number of times, and that's why the book of Acts is so important for us to see what happened after the resurrection. There were several times that Paul, as he's preaching that there were riots. And there was one time he was in Acts chapter 17, he was in Thessalonica and a riot started. Some people gave their lives to the Lord and then others got mad and they, they caused all this trouble. Well, he went 50 miles south to Berea and he's there and people are giving their hearts to the Lord. And think about this. In our day to drive 50 miles is not that big a deal, but these guys up in Thessalonica who didn't like what he was doing, they went all the way down to Berea and caused trouble down there because they heard what Paul was preaching. They didn't have Uber. I don't know how they got there, but they went and they caused a riot. And if it wasn't bad enough that the Jews considered it blasphemy, it was also a problem to say it among the Gentiles. In the Roman world, Caesar was God. Caesar was Lord. And for the early believers to say that Jesus is Lord in their day, that was like treason. The coins that they had had Caesar's picture on it. And it said, he is divine. He is the Lord. Another place that it came up was as they tried to enter the, the marketplace. If they wanted to sell their goods, whatever it is they had grown or made, as they went into the marketplace to sell their goods, you had to go to get in there. You had to go by an altar and burn incense and say that Caesar is God. He is Lord. And so they couldn't do that anymore. They just, I can't do that. And so they found themselves, in so many ways, they faced serious consequences for saying that Jesus is Lord. It cost them everything to say that Jesus is Lord. But they gladly surrendered everything to Jesus because the Holy Spirit had revealed it to them that Jesus was Lord and that he had risen from the dead. And they didn't back up on it. We have a hard time relating to a lot of this here in America. We read it and we kind of glimpse over and go, wow, that's incredible. 
the worst that might happen maybe in, here in America is somebody might unfriend you on Facebook. Now, I'm not on social media. I don't know how to do all that stuff, but I, I hear it's traumatic when somebody does that. And someone might pull away from you as a friend because you confess Jesus is Lord and you actually live it out in your life. But it doesn't cause the issues it caused back then in the early church. You know, there are still places here in the world, our world today, where if you do confess that Jesus is Lord, or you talk about the fact that you believe that He rose from the dead, your life is on the line. There are still places like that in the world, so I don't want to take that lightly. But here in America, we're here in the room today, and so I'm speaking to us. We don't get that. We don't experience that. In our world today, though, we have a different kind of pressure that challenges us in our decision to make Jesus our Lord. There's a different kind of pressure. We have distractions like no other generation before us. We're bombarded with messages from every direction that divert us from what really matters. And I brought this thing up here this morning on purpose because the whole time I've been talking, it's been going off. And the truth of the matter is, that's what the Holy Spirit needs to be doing. The Holy Spirit needs to be nudging me and going off. Not this thing. We're so distracted in our day and time and diverted with what really matters. And like the two men that walked along the road of Emmaus with Jesus, and like the disciples in Acts chapter 1 who were so focused on Jesus restoring Israel as an earthly nation, we too can get our focus on the wrong things, on things that are not eternal, but temporary. And we can get so caught up with things on earth that we really want God to change or fix on earth. That we are, or maybe something we're trying to make happen in our lives. That like them, we miss out on what God's doing. We're focused on that while God's over, the whole time that's going on. God's doing something over here. And in some cases, I know in my own life, I think the, the resurrected Lord was standing right in front of me and I just ignored him because I was focused on something else or multiple things. Just like the believers in the early church, we need the Holy Spirit to come and guide us. Just like the believers in the early church, we need the Holy Spirit to focus us on the message of the church that Jesus is Lord and that He has risen from the dead. We need to come to a place in our heart where we surrender to Jesus and give Him all power and authority over every part of our life and just surrender to Him. And I just want to as I'm beginning to close here, I just want to say that if, if you are in a place in your life where you are so focused on the things that you want God to change in your world, that you're missing what he's doing in spite of those things that you want changed, ask the Lord to send the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit to come in and to redirect you, just like he did the early church, and get you focused on the resurrection and the fact that he is Lord. Focus on what matters. My wife and Holly and my, one of my daughters went to Kenya a few years back to 
an orphanage called Kibera. And tell the story really fast. They were there, there for a few days, and one night, two or three in the morning, they heard all this noise. And it was the children. And they heard them outside, and they were crying out to God. They were crying, and they were like, what in the world happened? Did something happen here? And they went out, and they asked the folks that worked there, what's the matter? What happened to these children? They said that the Holy Spirit woke these kids up. And they're praying for the Christians in America because they are so burdened. They, they realize that, it, that there's such distraction and there's so many things coming about against the believers here in America and we don't even realize it. Woke him up in the middle of the night. And we may not be losing our lives today because we believe in the resurrection. And we confess Jesus as Lord. But there are forces around us that are trying to distract us and keep us from being who we need to be in Christ and keep us from placing Jesus as Lord. I'd like to close with the scripture I read in Romans earlier and just let you know whether you have never come to faith in Christ or you're just in that place where, man, I am so distracted with, and it may be a list of things, it may be one thing. I just want to encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to come in to exercise your faith the way Romans chapter 10 talks about. And go find what God is doing today. And get right in the middle of it, regardless of what else is going on in your world or the world around you. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And the scripture says, anyone who trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame. He is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. This morning, as, as the, the worship team comes up, there's some songs they're going to sing. And as we begin to sing them in the first service, it was amazing how they connected with what I just read and what I just spoke on. And I encourage you, as, as they lead us in worship, let those words, let that lead you into that place where the Holy Spirit comes in and touches you.